There's a famous saying when studying scripture that context is king. What comes before and after helps you understand the passage clearly. But sometimes people pluck out a verse from a passage and they don't understand the full power of its meaning. An example of this is John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Most of us know this verse, but what's the context? The context is that he's preaching to this man who's the teacher of Israel. And he's, Jesus is telling him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And then he goes on to say this, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the son of God. Why is it important to believe in the Lord? Because we're condemned already. And here he's talking to the teacher of Israel. Now, when we understand the context, that verse comes alive, right? And there's another verse that sometimes gets plucked from its context And we really don't understand its power. And this is found in the Old Testament, and it is this. To obey is better than sacrifice. But what does this mean? Where does this come from, and how powerful is it? I chose this passage after reading it from my Old Testament class. I'm sitting on my bed reading, and I just, after finishing, I look at my wife and I say, Maya, baby, you've got to listen to this story. So now this morning, I'm telling you guys the same thing. I'm not calling you Maya, and I'm not calling you baby. But I am am calling you to listen to the power of the Word of God. So if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15. In Samuel 15, we're going to give given four scenes that display the seriousness of obedience. Four scenes that display the seriousness of, of obedience. The first scene we're going to see is the Lord giving his commands. The Lord gives a clear command to be obeyed. Read with me verse 1. And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. So we're introduced to two people. We have Samuel and we have Saul. Samuel, if you remember, his mother was barren in the beginning of 1 Samuel, and she prays to the Lord. Lord, please give me a son. And Samuel is given, and she weeps. And Samuel was a prophet and a judge of Israel. He was the ruler. And then you have Saul, the first king of Israel. And if you read the beginning, the context of this, it was in chapter 8 that Israel demands a king. So Samuel is getting old. He decides to put his sons, judges, over Israel. They are corrupt. They start taking bribes. And the people start calling out for a king. And here's the thing. Israel didn't have a king because God is and was their king. But the people wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to be like the Amalekites. They wanted someone, they wanted a warrior to go before them and to fight for them just like other nations. 
And Samuel is in distress in chapter 8, and he says, Lord, they want a king. And God tells him, well, listen to the people because they have rejected me. Then Samuel pleads with the people, listen, this is what the king is going to do. He's going to make you slaves. He's going to take your money. He's going to make your sons fight in battle. And they say, bring it on. Yes, we want a king. And so in the next chapter, chapter 9, you have Saul. Here is this tall, handsome man, and he is going to be the first king of Israel. In fact, I just taught this to uh, the boys this morning in Sunday school as we were reading. And they see Saul head and shoulders above everyone else and handsome. And what they say to him is, Hail the king! Hail the king! So here are these two people, Samuel and Saul. Saul, Samuel is the prophet, Saul is the king. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, Israel. Samuel is reminding Saul, listen, I have anointed you. The Lord told me to anoint you as king, and you are the king of Israel. This is weighty. He is not just a king of some tribe. This is God's people, the Israelites, the one whom he chose. And his people were to obey, and so was his king. And then he says, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Samuel is not telling him, listen to the words that I, the prophet, and the judge of Israel have. No, he's going one step further. He is saying, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the Lord, this is his word, and this is his command. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. So if you remember, God delivered his people from the Egyptians. And after they passed the sea that God parted, they're hungry, they're thirsty. And it was at this time that the Amalekites decided to strike the Israelites. And in fact, they waited and they attacked from the back, attacking the weak, the women, the children, the elderly. And God promised this in Exodus 17, 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. It goes on to say, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So they attack him. And when Moses' hands are in the air, they're winning the battle. But when he gets tired, they start to prevail. So here the Israelites are hungry. And verse 2 is simply the reason why he's going to command what he does in verse 3. Why is he going to command verse 3? Because of verse 2. Here's the reason. They slaughtered my people. And I told you guys that I will kill and blot out the Amalekites. Verse 3. Now go strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both men and women, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now we read this verse and we think, wait, God would order the slaughter of people, of animals, of possessions, of everything. How can God do that? How can a just and loving God call his people to slaughter another people? Well, one, God protects his people. But two... These are sinners, right? 
we all understand what we deserve. If we're in Christ, we are saved and sealed by his blood. But as believers, we know the reality that sin brings death, an eternal death at that. And so here are the Amalekites. They are sinners. They are wicked. They slaughter the people. And God is now telling them, I will fulfill my promise. And Saul, I want you to do it. And so the command is clear. The slaughter of the king, of the people, of the possessions, and of the animals. Everything that has to do with the Amalekites needs to be wiped from the face of the earth. That is the call. That is the command. And when God gives a command, there's no, there's no other option. There's no one upping God's holy word. Right? When he tells us to love him, we love him. There's no other option. When he tells us to love others, we love, uh, we love others. And there's no other option. Saul heard the command of God. He understood what it was. Samuel did not stutter. The command is clear. Wipe out the Amalekites. Which brings us to our second point. We saw the clear command. But now we see that the Lord does not accept partial obedience. Verse 4. So Saul summoned the people... And numbered them and tell them 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. This is a lot of people. If you've ever been to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, this is about three times of what that stadium can hold. Hundreds of thousands of people. Saul is off to a very good start. He is commanded to kill and annihilate the Amalekites, and now he gets hundreds of thousands of soldiers. And the Amaleks... Amalekites, sorry, were nomadic people. So it wasn't that they were in just one place. They, they were nomads. They were going around this certain area. Verse 5, And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. So he's waiting for his opportunity to slaughter, to obey the word of God. Verse 6, Then Saul said to the Amalekites, oh, sorry. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go depart, go down from the the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So here's these other people. And what was the difference between the Amalekites and these? They were kind to the Israelites. They did not attack the Israelites in a place when they were weak, thirsty, and tired. They were kind. They were gracious. And here, the Lord just showed them graciousness by not wiping them out completely. And even Saul, right? Saul decided, okay, I'm going to get my soldiers. Uh Uh-oh, there's these people that I'm not commanded to kill. Let me be gracious to them. And he allows them to leave after warning them. Verse 7. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. So Saul and his army now defeated, in quotations, the Amalekites. Verse 8, And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. Wait a second. Saul was called to kill the king, to kill the people, And now he's taking Agag alive 
before all of his soldiers and even before the Lord. And it says that he devoted all the people to destruction. But we, found, we find out later in 1 Samuel that this is not the case. Verse 9, But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fattened calves and all the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. So did the people obey the voice of the Lord? Absolutely not. Saul took his own ideas and said, you know what? I know that the Lord commanded the slaughter of everyone, but I'm going to take the king. And the people decided to take the animals and the possessions, the valuable things. But then they humbly destroyed all the worthless things. They did not obey the voice of the Lord. And this is interesting. In verse 9, it says this, But Saul and the people gives responsibility not only to the people, but also Saul the king, the one who was commanded to slaughter the people. Ultimately, it's Saul's responsibility. He is the king of the people. And they destroyed everything else. God is not going to be pleased with this. Partial obedience, willful disobedience to the Lord is not acceptable when God has given us his command. He's given us commands so we can know him, so we could obey him. And that was the same thing with Saul. And Saul already struggled with this if you read 1 Samuel. He already struggled with doing things that the Lord did not command. This is a practice of Saul. Verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So here Samuel is by himself, and the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Now, if you know your Bibles, you think, wait a second, God is not changing. He's immutable. He's all-knowing. How can God change or regret? Or I think the King James Version says, repenteth. Can God really repent? I believe that this is just a, a, a human way of speaking to show his displeasure with Saul. He is grieved over Saul's sin, his willful disobedience. And that's what he tells him. Why does he regret that he made Saul king? For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So this is wickedness. And notice the response of Samuel. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. You want to talk about a righteous man? A man that understands how serious sin is in the state of God's chosen people? These people that were called to be holy, to do what God says? This man wept and cried all night to the Lord over this man's sin, over the state of Israel. Humbling. And Samuel rose up to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, 
Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. So not only does Saul disobey the word of God, now he's setting up monuments so that he gets praised for this victory. So all the people that are with him and all the people that will be after him can remember what Saul did to the Amalekites. But here's the truth. He didn't obey. He is taking God's glory. It is God who's given the victory over the Israelites' enemies. It's not Saul. It's God. And here, Saul wants all the credit, all the glory for himself. I mean, can you imagine being Samuel? You hear that this man rejected Saul, rejected the word of God. And this man, Samuel, is weeping. And then only to wake up and hear, oh, but there's more. Now he made a monument of himself to be praised. And Samuel rose up to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told to Saul, Saul came to Carmel. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. This is important. Look at this. Who came to who? Samuel, the prophet, the judge, came to Saul, the king, to rebuke him. But notice who talks first. And Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He is lying. He is lying. Here, Samuel is seeking this man out. And the first thing he says to Samuel is, Blessed be God. I have, I've done it. We have done it. We wiped out the Amalekites. But he didn't. He took Agag. He let the people take the possessions, the animals that he was supposed to sacrifice. He rejected He refused to obey the word of the Lord, and now he's lying to Samuel. He's celebrating prematurely. And as Atlanta Falcon fans, you guys know this. (laughs) Right? I mean, if you're up 25 points in the third quarter, you're thinking, this is it. We've done it. Or if you're not a Falcons fan and you're a Georgia fan, the kicker missed the field goal at the end of the fourth quarter. Then you get a field goal. Then Tua gets sacked, and you're thinking, no way. Right? And you start celebrating, this is the year. Georgia's going to win it. I just imagine Saul doing the same thing to Samuel. We've done it. We did it. Praise the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. I have kept your commandments. But here's the interesting thing. Samuel already knows that he disobeyed the word of God because the Lord told him that he did not keep his commandments and that he regrets that he made Saul king and about the monument. So here Saul is lying to the prophet saying, we've done it. We killed the Amalekites. We've done everything. Notice the response of Samuel. And Samuel said, What then is this, the bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? I gave this analogy in youth group, right? I mean, here's Saul proclaiming that he's innocent, 
But then the thing that he was supposed to kill is now making noise to Samuel. Really? You're innocent. Then why do I hear these sheep and these oxen? Uh, it's like if you're a dog lover, little kids, and you decide to take all the stray cats and dogs and you clean them up and your mom goes shopping and you say, and your mom says, I want all these cats and dogs out of my house in three hours. And you say, yes, ma'am. Here comes your mom at the front door. You meet her. You meet her, right? And you talk to her. Mom, I did it. They're all in safe places now. Meanwhile, in the background, you hear dogs barking and cats meowing. Right? You didn't obey. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know. I set that up. No, I didn't. Just kidding. Verse 15. And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. You notice what Saul does? He twisted the commandment. He understood what was the command to annihilate everyone and everything. It's almost as Saul is saying, you know what? I know what the Lord has commanded, but listen to this plan I had. I'm going to take Agag. I'm going to take, we took the most precious things and we're going to offer them to the Lord. Isn't that way better than just slaughtering them? It's not. God's commandment is perfect. He demands full obedience. There's no other option. It was foolish for Saul to think differently. It's foolish for Saul to rest on his own wisdom or his own thoughts. It's foolishness. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. Enough. And if you have kids, you know, right? You tell them to obey and they don't obey. I heard this one time, but you only told me once. It it doesn't matter. If I told you once, that's sufficient, right? Or my leg hurt. Or making up excuses. And here Saul is. And Samuel had enough. He is going to tell Saul the truth. Stop. Stop with the excuses, Saul. Stop with the lying. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, speak. Verse 17. And Samuel said, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribe of Israel? What does that mean? Well, Saul was from the small tribe of Benjamin. He didn't think he was real valuable. He doesn't understand how important it is to be the king of Israel and the responsibility that it brings. And it's almost as Samuel is saying, do you not understand? You're no longer this little, tall, not little, this tall man from Benjamin. You are the king of Israel. You are leading the people. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 8, that's what the people wanted. They wanted a warrior. They wanted a king to go to battle. And here they have him, and he doesn't obey the Lord. The Lord anointed you king over Israel. It doesn't matter what the people try to do. You are the king of Israel. You are the one responsible. It's the same thing when Adam was in the garden, right? Though she took of the fruit, he was responsible. He was the leader, and he was there with her. It's inexcusable for disobedience, especially when you are the king, the head of Israel. 
18. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. In case Saul didn't understand, Samuel, in his kindness, told him the command one more time. In case you didn't hear me, Saul, this was the command. This is what you were supposed to do. And notice what he calls the Amalekites, sinners. These people were so wicked that they now just identified as sinners. And in case you didn't know who the sinners were, look with me. The Amalekites. You were called to fight with them, to kill them until they are totally consumed. Verse 19, why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Answer me. Answer me right now, Saul, why you would do this. And you would think this time Saul would confess his sin. And I was talking to my boy as I was reading this last night, and I said his name, and I said, what do you think Saul did? Do you think he actually told the truth? Or do you think he lied? Now, he had a 50-50 shot, and he chose the right one. Saul lied to Samuel. Look with me in verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. Once again, lying to the prophet of God. You did not obey. You disobeyed. You are delusional, Saul. I told you the command again in case there was something that wasn't clear. And now you're still lying to me, proclaiming that you obeyed. And his response continues. And notice, even in his response, he shows that he was guilty. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Look what I've done. I took the king disobedient. You weren't supposed to. And I have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. Once again, lying, because in 1 Samuel we see that all the people of the Amalekites are not dead. And notice what he does in verse 21. I obeyed. But look at the first word. But the people, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal? I obeyed, but the people disobeyed. Let me tell you something. If the people disobeyed, it was Saul's responsibility to make them obey. That's his job as king. But if you look previously, remember who got the responsibility for the disobedience? Saul and the people refused to listen to the word of God, refused to listen to the commandment of the God. And now here is the beauty of context in the passage. Just like I shared with you about John 3.16, you've got to understand the context to feel the weight of the word of God and the power it brings. So in case you weren't listening, let me give you a recap. Saul was commanded to kill the Amalekites. He decides not to. He lets the people take the spoil. He decides to take the king. Now he's lying to the prophet of God. And notice the rebuke that comes now. 
the clarity of the word of God that Samuel is going to bring. And he starts off with a question in verse 22. And Samuel said, Has the Lord has great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Tell me, Saul, let me ask you a question. Do you think that God loves sacrifice more or full obedience? Notice his answer. Behold, listen to this Saul and this church. To obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. Now, is God satisfied with sacrifices in the Old Testament? Absolutely. He calls people to sacrifice. The problem is he didn't call Saul to sacrifice. And in fact, this is not Saul's first time. In chapter 13, he does the same thing. He offers sacrifices that God did not tell him to do. It's inexcusable. Saul somehow thought he could one-up the word of God. Oh, God will be pleased with these sacrifices. I'll appease the people, and I think I have a better idea than God. And Samuel says, no. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It's a comparative statement. Which is better? Sacrifices or obedience? Obedience every day, all day, twice on Sundays. Obedience is the call. But sadly, people today still do this, right? Somehow, people in America, and maybe some even in this church, think if I just give money, that replaces my obedience. It's better than my obedience. If I come to church on Sunday, it's better than my obedience. If I go on a mission trip, it's better than my obedience. Now, as believers, do we give faithfully? Do we go on mission trips? Do we attend the local body? Absolutely. But that does not neglect your priority, my priority, to obey God's word. It's inexcusable. You don't get to do these righteous works and somehow think you're obeying the Lord. You want to be righteous? Well, one, you don't become righteous. God gives you his righteousness when you believe in him. And secondly, you obey because he told you to obey. You see what happens? People just try to give the righteous works. And they try to please God. But they don't please God. They just appease their conscience. Of course, it's easy to appease your conscience when you're giving. But are you obeying in your house? Are you obeying at work? Are you obeying when no one else is looking, when you're by yourself? That is what the Lord commands. True obedience. And he goes on. For rebellion as a sin is a sin of divination. Let me tell you how wicked willful rebellion is. It's like trying to look to other gods and people to try to get wisdom, which once again, Samuel, I mean, Saul was guilty of. The presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. This was idolatry Saul was committing. All of the sin that Saul was doing was idolatry. He probably wanted to take the king of Agag back for his own glory, 
He didn't want to rebuke the people when they were disobedient to the word of God for his own comfort and maybe for out of fear of them. He set up a monument to bring glory and praise to himself. He lied to Samuel because he didn't want to come to the truth. Wickedness. And notice the consequences at the end of verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. This is the consequences. He is being rebuked, and now he's just given his consequences. Because you cannot follow, keep, or obey the word of God, and you just commit idolatry, and you somehow think you're smarter and wiser than God, you're no longer going to be the king of Israel. And this truth is still truth today. You want to know who really loves the Lord? Look to those who love his word, who want to obey his commandments. Saul was far from the Lord because he continually rejected the word of God. And this is the truth. As believers, you should never reject the word of God. Are we going to fail? Absolutely. And praise God for his forgiveness, his grace. His mercy towards us. But if you are constantly making a practice of sinning, beware. The word of God is clear in 1 John 2, 4, and 5. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. You want to know who really loves the Lord? Look at their life. They will desire obedience. They will desire a righteous life. Church, when God tells us to love others, we love others. When he tells us to love him above all things, we love him above all things. When he tells us to go make disciples, to not neglect the gathering of believers, to love your wife, to submit to your husband, to be patient and kind, and to raise your child up in a way that fears the Lord, to forgive others as you have been forgiven, you do it because that is what God has called you to. That is what he has commanded you to do. And there's no other option. And as believers, that is your greatest joy. Yes, Lord, please, please let me do that. And if you're also a believer, you understand that if someone sins against you or you sin against the Lord, you repent. You confess until the day you die. And you keep on praising God for his mercy and grace. Verse 24. Now we get to the consequences. We have seen the commandment. We have seen the partial obedience. We have seen the rebuke that Samuel, the Lord, has given to Saul. And now finally, it looks as if Saul has broken through. Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. It almost seems as if finally Saul is repenting. I have sinned. You are right, Samuel. I did not obey. But here's the reason. I feared Man, and I decided to obey their voice instead of the Lord. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. It's interesting that 
the only reason it seems like Saul has repented is because Samuel just told him, because you have rejected the word of God, you're no longer going to be the king of Israel. Oh, really? Oh, oh, please forgive me. I feared the people. And now please there, pardon my sin that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. I want nothing to do with you, Saul, because you cannot keep the commandments of the Lord. Verse 27, And Samuel turned to go away. Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So here, Saul is desperate. Please, don't let this happen. And he reaches for Samuel, and he tears his robe. And I think Samuel was just quick-witted, and he says, Oh yeah, just like you tore my robe, so the Lord is going to tear the kingdom from you. And it gets worse. Have you ever been discouraged and someone's told you something? You think, oh man, that's awful. And then I got, well, I got more bad news. And then this. Imagine being Saul at this point. Saul, you can't obey. You're no longer going to be the king of Israel. Oh, this is awful. Oh, and the next person is going to be better than you as king. Right? I mean, just kick them while you're down. 29. And in fact, we see later, right after this, David's appearance. David coming on the scene, the new righteous king, 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Here is talking about the Lord not having regret. Because I said this, Samuel, because I've told you that I'm going to rebuke you as king and no longer be king, I'm not changing my mind. Bring it to the bank. This is final. I am not turning away. I am not changing my mind. It's a settled deal. 30. And then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. Saul just wants the people to think that he's righteous. Please pardon me so these people, these elders, the Israelites can look at me as king still. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. Whatever this was, it was probably superficial, because Saul continued to disobey the word of the Lord, to act on his own wisdom. And in fact... One of my kids in my Sunday school class asked always the famous question, is Saul in heaven? Which I responded, I don't know. But let me tell you this, he didn't really obey the word of God. And obedience is key and an indicator of someone who has saving faith. So though I don't know, his life is not on a good track. Verse 32, and Samuel said, bring here to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. So imagine this. Imagine you are the king of the Amalekites. All your people, most of your people, are slaughtered. You as the king get to live. 
And here the king, Agag, comes into the presence of Samuel with a little bit of confidence. Hey, though he slaughtered all my people, I'm good. Though you wiped out my possessions, most of my animals, and most of my people, it's okay, man. The, the death, that bitterness is past. We're good. What Agag doesn't know is that Samuel does not take the word of God lightly and will obey it. Unlike Saul, verse 33. And Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. Because you have killed so many people and have made their mothers childless, I am going to do the same thing to you. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Don't think of Samuel as some big, mighty warrior. Think of him as an old, gentle man, a wise man that's not very strong, that's not very fast. Oh, but he obeys the word of God. And he hacks Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. I just imagine Saul's face must have just dropped, right? You're not going to obey? Let me show you, Saul, what it looks like to obey. 34. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Jeba of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king of Israel. It was broken. The fellowship was broken. Samuel would never again come to Saul, but Saul would come to Samuel. And the Lord regretted that he made Saul king of Israel. I don't want you guys to get caught up in the beginning that God commands his people to slaughter another people. Or the fact that somehow, how can God regret? What does that mean? Don't miss the main point. That God is serious about obedience. Full obedience. And consequences come with disobedience. And in fact, as I said before, because of Saul's disobedience... Later, in chapter 30 of 1 Samuel, the Amalekites rise up again, and now they're taking Israelites, their wives, their children, and they start burning their possessions. And if you know about Esther, there's a man who decides that he wants to kill every single Israelite. And he was an Amalekite. The consequences of sin go on. Saul couldn't understand or comprehend what would happen in the future, that wasn't his job. His job was to obey, and he didn't. So what can we grab? What can we apply from a passage like this where obedience is essential? Well, we must understand the seriousness of keeping God's word. God did not stutter. God did not give us his holy word so that we could just read it and be gone, not remembering it, not obeying it. Because after all, isn't this what James says? If you are like one of those men, you're just deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And we must understand that half obedience is never obedience. Right? This is why Saul got rebuked. He took matters in his own hands. He didn't obey the word of God. And as Christians, let us not do the same thing. 
When we're confronted with our sin, do not make excuses. Do not blame others. Take responsibility for your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord and to others. And here's the last truth that I want you guys to understand. God did not give his command without strength and power to do it. Right? This is what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. Listen, I am leaving, but you want the Holy Spirit to come because it's better for you to have him than me to stay here. God has given us everything we need to obey. He's given us his word so we can know it, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to strengthen us and to do it. So this morning, please examine your heart. See if you're obeying. Understand the importance of obedience and the consequences that will come if you do not obey. And then lastly, praise God that there's no longer sacrifices that we can make, but that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, God himself who humbled himself, came and took the wrath that me and you deserve. And believe it and obey it. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for your word, the clarity of your word. I pray that we'd be a people that obey your word, that love your word. We can never add to your word. Lord, our call is to be a holy people and to obey it. And I pray that you continue to give us strength to do that. For we have nothing else that we desire except for you to be glorified and for us to obey until we see you again. It's in your name we pray, amen.